Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome in to episode 150 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. Uh, I'm Brendan, a.k.a. J-Bo. And uh, no Doug this week, which is quite sad because it's 150 episodes, but uh, Doug cannot make it again. He is on the apparently road. Toronto, yeah, apparently Toronto is more important. Like, wow. Yeah, apparently. He's got an early flight or something in the morning, and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. He can't... I know, I know, I know. Well, episode 150, uh, it's too bad he can't be here. Maybe he can make a cameo or something, but uh, I have a feeling he's probably uh, going to bed. But uh, Brendan, I did get to see you this week. We had uh, we actually got to watch a game in person. And with that in mind, let's get into the game flight for the week. And that game that we got to watch together, that was uh, the win over the Panthers. The Canucks beat the Panthers 5-3. Three Canucks with multi-point games in that one. Kuzmenko, Miller, and Pedersen as the Canucks overcame. Panthers coming back from two goals down. And Canucks held on to win it 5-3. I got to argue, I would argue, the Canucks' best game of the season in Nashville. I know some would argue the Edmonton game, but I thought overall as a team, the game in Nashville was much better. They win 3-2, only give up 17 shots, really were tied in front of Demko. Um, And, you know, at the end of the the third period with uh, the game on the line, killed a couple of important penalties and and something that they hadn't done last year. So uh, it really was a test to get back 4-2, really easy. Yeah, last game of a road trip, you know you're coming home to, you know, just kind of mail it in a bit. But they did. They played their best game of that road trip and, and uh, were full marks for coming out with a 3 2. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been rare. Like, Doug and I started this podcast, uh, geez, I guess like four and a half or something years ago. It is rare to, uh, for us to get a game flight. Now it's only a two game flight, but it's rare for us to get a game flight that that's all wins. And, that means that this should be a fairly positive episode to do this week where we're talking about two wins. So uh, I, I'm excited. And uh, uh, it's it's a strange feeling looking at the standings and seeing the Canucks sixth overall in the NHL. And I, and I said, uh, I, I think I said during last week's show, it was to me, it was more about process um, than results. I mean, hey, obviously you're always happy when the results were there, but it was nice to see that the results were based on, you know, better process. Um, they got, you know, they were better in that loss to Tampa, were even better in the, the game in Florida. I mean, the third period, I mean, I thought the first two periods, they were actually quite good. And then, you know, got caved in pretty considerably in the game in the third period in Florida. But, you know, then they came to Nashville and played a, a full 60-minute effort. And, you know, it was, again, it was nice to see them um, really give Demko the kind of environment that, you know, you, you kind of hope that we're going to see, you know, more than, you know, more than what we saw than in, in both Tampa and Philadelphia, where, you know, they, they were giving up those chances that uh, really plagued them last year. So it was nice to see, you know, because Nashville had come in, you know, one of the teams that were creating um, as many chances as any team in the league and, and, and to shut them down. Um, for the most part, I mean, really that goal in the second period off of that three on two basically came out of nowhere because it wasn't as if 
Nashville had been carrying the play. I mean, quite the opposite. The Canucks were in Nashville's end for the majority of that second period. It was just one mistake um, by the forwards that kind of left the defense out, hung out to dry. There was no support there, and which led to the goal. So, um, you know, outside of that, I mean, in the third period, they were much better in that third period in Nashville than they were in Florida, where, um, you know, I don't forget how it close to 20 shots on goal, if not 20 shots on goal. Um, and that's not going to get it done. So, um, yeah, the process, you know, was progressively getting better and, you know, ended in Nashville where it was, you know, for me, their most complete performance of the year. Yeah, I'd say it was, uh, it was pretty complete as well. There's, um, I, I mean, there's always a few things that could get cleaned up and um and there's so again it's not perfect but but we're seeing like you said process we're starting to see things you know trending in the right direction a little bit i mean this is this is still it's very early it's six games in but remember where we were last year six games in we were oh five and one and the losing wasn't done yet so this is a, a far cry from a 5 and one start going four and two. Uh, I will agree that like, okay, obviously the best game was the first one blowing out Edmonton in the season opener. That was great. But in terms of a complete game, cause that game really Edmonton didn't show up. Like they, they kind of just rolled over and let the Canucks continue to bring wave after wave there. It wasn't a lot of fight. There was fight in Nashville uh, from the predators. And it's again, that game and the, the Florida game, those are the types of games the Canucks would have lost last year, especially early in the season. We know how they blew leads all the time and they didn't they didn't fold they they bent but they didn't break you know i think every canucks fan saw when florida tied it up it's like oh here we go we just blew a two goal lead in the third we're gonna fall to two and three they didn't and they got the win and wasn't pretty all the way through but they got the win and right now that is the most important thing everyone is still every team is still in the early stages of the season here where everyone's a handful maybe six seven games in whatever like everyone's still working out kinks the canucks are no exception but you get as many of these points now in the first 10 first 20 i know everyone always talks about american thanksgiving as being the first kind of test mark for or benchmark i guess so uh, would be the better word for where a team is get as many points as you can. It's like in a football game, first half, just take the points. You know, yeah, if you're a fourth and five from a 35, kick the field goal. Just, you know, take those points in the first half. And that's really what the Canucks need to do in this stretch up to American Thanksgiving. Just take the points. At the end of this season, two points is still two points. But again, Nashville in Florida could have easily come away with zero. And last year, I think they would have come away with zero and they come away with four and they finish a road trip three and two. Uh, that road trip that everyone was given the stink eye to at the start of the year when the schedule came out. So for me, this is, um, yeah, man. I mean, I'm always a glass half full kind of fan, but uh, it feels just uh, kind of nice and a little bit different right now. Yeah. I mean, probably the best example of what we didn't see last year that we um, saw uh, at the end of this road trip was, you know, the, the, the two penalties late in Nashville, um, you know, uh, for me, when they took those penalties, I'm like, I mean, obviously you're annoyed. You, I mean, and especially the way that game had been called where nothing had been called. And I'm not saying that they weren't, I mean, I, I mean, the Friedman penalty is probably a penalty. I mean, the, I mean, the, the Myers one was, I thought was chintzy, you know, I, I mean, obviously there's for, for whatever reason, there's this point of emphasis on, on cross-checking, um, but I still thought it was chintzy, especially again, considering how the rest of that game had been called and there was no one 
there was, I mean, I think up until that point, there was only one penalty, which was the, the too many, many, too many men on the ice penalty. Um, so, you know, you, you got to that point and, and, and probably for a lot of fans, there was some PTSD, you know, you're seeing your team take late penalties. We know what, I mean, I remember there was a game last year early in the season in Boston where the Canucks had the lead late in that game. I think it was a 2-1 game. It was either this year or the year prior, but it was one of the two. And I just remember them giving up two power play goals to lose that game 3-2. So over the last couple of years, we've seen that happen. Um, but I, I, I was a lot more calm because of what I had seen. And it began, it began in the preseason with the way they killed penalties then. Um, and, you know, thankfully, it for the most part, has carried over. I mean, on that, yeah, I, I put out the stat from, I put out the stat for comparing this year to last year. Uh, you know, the Canucks had their five-game road trip to start the season uh, last year, and and they were uh, 10 for 17 on the PK. Um, you know, so you're giving up quite a bit. Um, this year, they were, they were 8 for 11. So, you know, you spread out those goals, you know, it's, it's, you know, it makes, those are four goals. And so if you throw four goals into this team in this year, in this season, considering how many games they won by that, that were close, um, those goals matter and it could have cost them a game or two. And so, it, you know, it really, it really made the difference between coming back four and two and, you know, maybe coming back, I don't know, you know, two, two and four or, or, or worse. So, um, you got to look at that as a positive and certainly, you know, like you said, it's six games in, so we can't, mm. as, you know, as, as guys that are analyzing this as fans, whatever you want to call us, um, you know, you can't go, you can't go overboard because, you know, a two game lo- winning streak could be followed by a two game losing streak. So, you know, really this team has to be focused on, Hey, you know, we, uh, you know, what we did, Hey, pat on the back. It was good, but, um, our aspirations are much bigger than just, a four and two start to the season. This has to be, it, this has to carry over to something bigger. Yeah. And they're, they're also getting goaltending this year, which was something that they didn't get out of the gate last year. Um, I got a question for you, Brendan, but first of all, before I do that, uh, we should get in our plugs you can, for Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. I'm still going to call it Twitter. You can follow me at Pete underscore gas. The podcast is at Canuck speak. I am Jabo, J-A-B-O underscore Vancouver. And obviously, if you're watching us on YouTube, there's that subscribe button there. So you hit that and never miss a single episode of this show because it's pretty fucking amazing. (laughs) Um, Also, uh, Doug is at Doug Venn. And we also have the Connect Speakeasy outro music playlist that is on Spotify and apple some great beats on there okay my question uh anyone watching on youtube can see that we like to use the virtual backgrounds you know it hides the fact that we you know both uh, are living in mom's basements or something i'm sure but uh i just like the virtual background and mine kind of matches my, my Diwali shirt today my place uh, just that? doesn't have anything my like yeah. I, i'm, I'm kind of like <laughs> this is the most plain like people always give me shit because i don't I don't own jerseys and, or, and I just don't own, I don't, I've never owned a Jersey in my life. And, and wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to the game on Friday, you know, little, little father son time with me and my dad, which I'm looking forward to, um, you know, and my, I don't think my dad's ever owned a Jersey either. So, you know, it's just like father, like son, but trust me, 
you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We both we both scream and yell at the TV. I'm uh, I'm more of a Canucks T-shirt guy, and uh, as you as you probably noticed, I got quite a few few of these. I wear them more than jerseys. Okay, my question though for you, uh, virtual background. So I got an old school uh, Canucks logo, this this the skate. You've got Phil Di Giuseppe, who is one of the goal scorers in the game against Nashville. That was another thing about the Nashville game: depth scoring. Mikheyev, Di Giuseppe, and Hoaglander. Phil Di Giuseppe for me has been. A bit of a revelation. Like, I mean, he was used down the stretch last year. And most people, myself included, had him penciled to make the team somewhere in the lineup. Wasn't really quite sure where, but I'm pretty sure I had him more in a bottom six type capacity. This PBJ line, or whatever you want to call it, uh, this has fit Phil DiGiuseppe's game to a T he's pacing for about a 40 point season right now, playing with Miller and Besser, whether that's sustainable or not. Well, who knows, but what he's doing for that line is kind of the same thing that Mikheyev brings to the Pedersen line. He's causing havoc going down low for checking and winning puck battles. And we've seen this a few times where the Canucks are running plays where PDG is getting the puck loose to Miller. Who's finding Besser. And that's part of the reason why Besser leads the team in scoring. But I want to hear from you. Uh, what have you really liked about Phil's game? What's a real standout for you? Uh, I mean, I guess it's probably exemplified probably most well by the the winner in Florida. Um, you know, he's the only man in. The rest of his line is changing. Um, and really his, his goal is to keep the puck down low long enough for reinforcements to, to get there. And so they can continue that sustained pressure because for a lot of that period, it, it, it had been in Vancouver's, in Vancouver's end. I mean, they obviously given up the three, one lead. Um, so I think he understood that, that we have, that, you know, this was a shift not long after the tying goal. Um, and the focus had to be on, Hey, we need to be on the attack. So, not only is he on attack, but he he, he basically wins a, a one-on-two battle for the puck uh, against our old friend OEL, and I don't know who the other player who was the other Panther player was. Um, and then you get and then he, he gets the puck and a beautiful little pass out in front to Kuzmenko, and you know obviously good on Kuzmenko who showed really really tremendous patience in in uh, scoring that goal. I mean it was a really fantastic finish from a guy that you know clearly knows how to finish, um, but. You know, much in the same vein, you know, obviously maybe not quite to that extent, but much in the same vein is what Burroughs brought to the Sabine line. You know, you, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, there, there's this big belief on Talkit from Talkit, which I believe was probably the, to the same, probably the same thing that AV held that you had duos. Um, and then you find some, someone that complements that duo and certainly Burroughs, obviously, complemented what uh what the what the Sedins did well um in terms of that he needed to be that uh hard four check puck retrieval guy and, and you know uh Seve doesn't necessarily have to be that guy to the extent that that Burroughs had to because Miller's still fantastic on the four check um but being that first guy in as the winger he really has been fantastic he gets in there he knows he I mean he knows how to play along the wall I mean he's relentless and, and, and he, you know, he really does play his role to a T. And, um, you know, I've said before that, you know, the Canucks need to find, find found gold. 
You know, guys that like if you want to be a team that becomes a contender, you have to find guys that you didn't expect to to play significant roles to do that. Just in the same way that Burroughs did. No one expected Burroughs, Bieksa, all of those guys that were uh, Hanson, guys that were high draft picks or undrafted free agents in terms of the, the, the which which Burroughs was. You know, you have to find that. Um, and I do feel like the Canucks are doing a better job of finding those guys. And I, I mean, I don't know what DiGiuseppe is going to be long-term. I mean, I mean, he is 29 years old, you know, and maybe this is just going to be a spurt, but certainly, I mean, it, it does seem like, I mean, he's capable of doing this consistently, which is really that that's the key word for Rick Tockett. It's consistency. And the one thing he knows with DiGiuseppe is he's going to get, consistency out of him in terms of the way he competes the way he goes and four checks and the way he plays in his own end and and for a coach that's exactly what you want and and the four check uh, you know i mentioned mikhaev as well kind of doing that with uh the pd line mikhaev i thought had uh geez one of his best games as a canuck i really think uh, that last game against nashville he uh he was very noticeable fast in there early uh one of the things that talkett said either post game or this morning, I think it was maybe post game was he still didn't like in the third period, how the team would, uh, would kind of sit back a little bit and skate backwards. And he says he wants them to skate forward. And I thought that was really interesting is he doesn't want guys going backwards. He wants forward and he wants pressure. And I think that's what D Giuseppe in particular, I think that's how he really kind of got, uh, in talk. It's good books was that he was doing that, Already, Mikheyev was signed as a free agent to do that specifically. But this is something that we're going to see more. And he said about half the guys were doing it and half the guys weren't. But every line is going to need that guy who's a crasher, who's going down low. I mean, that's we've seen Hoglander and Joshua both do it a bit as well. Uh, and I think for me, that's what PDG really brings to the team is following what Talkit is saying in terms of we're, we're not sitting back. You shouldn't be skating forward or, or sorry, skating backwards, sorry, into your own zone. You need to be attacking. And and I like that because, again, you know, this is something that we've seen the Canucks team over the last few years just blow so many leads. And, and uh, again, you can just feel it coming. And in the game against Florida, they did blow a lead in the third period, but they came back and won and won in regulation. And then in Nashville, the Preds were coming on, but the Preds could never get it. And uh, Pedersen couldn't hit an empty net. And otherwise it would have been 4-2 and my hockey pool team would have a couple more points there. But they didn't either, in either case, they didn't actually fold, right? And this is, again, where they're getting it cleaned up. They're they're attacking, they're playing their game. Uh, and even when shit starts to happen, whether uh, the lead gets halved or collapses or they're getting a bunch of late penalty calls against them, they're they're bending, but they're not breaking. Uh, but for me, those comments from talking about saying how he wants the guys to skate forward, um, I think that's, ex I, I think it's going to be very hard right now to get Phil DiGiuseppe off that line uh, as long as this team is winning and that line is doing what they're doing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if these top two lines are kind of locked in for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, injuries not withstanding, um, you know, which could change things, but I mean, if, yeah. if, if, if they're healthy, I mean, yeah, I, I don't see this changing anytime soon um i mean you got two balanced scoring lines and you know i mean it, it you know his talk it's um thoughts on 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 going for i mean and it was something that that uh the frustrating part of, of watching that game in tampa 
was you felt like there was a lot of that. You felt like there was a lot of backing up and not a lot of going forward. We know I've, I've noticed that I was, you know, I was watching the game with the, I believe it was with my brother and, and um, he was saying that it's just like, what the heck, you know, why are they like, stop backing in, stop backing in. I mean, and, and it was, it was, it was, it was getting frustrating to watch. And so I can understand what talk it's talking about it, you know, and it's what I, it's what I've said over the years. I mean, like playing aggressive, you know, and, and going forward doesn't mean that you're playing out of control um, because there's a game management that comes with that that I feel like, you know, I mean, there were games in the past, you know, in the in, in past few seasons where, you know, they would attack, but the problem was is that their game management wasn't good. And so they would leave themselves exposed. Um, so if you can combine those two elements where you are attacking, um, continuing to put pressure, especially in that neutral zone, you don't, don't, don't give them time and space to come at you with speed. Um, really, really come at them and make sure that their time and space isn't there, create turnovers, um, you know, force them to have to be overly aggressive because, you know, you know, I've said it for quite a few years now, like when you have the lead, you've done your job. You don't have to actively go and be aggressive to try to score. That doesn't mean you're not aggressive. That just means you're not reckless. Um, which I think there was a tendency for them to do, where they would get three guys down low, they would get too aggressive, and then there would be an odd man rush the other way. Be aggressive, but be smart in the way you manage the game. And if you do that, if you're constantly pressuring the puck and pressuring the other team, but doing it in a smart way, they will hand you opportunities to score. You will get your odd man rushes. You will get your chances at the other end. You just need to be smart in the way and continue to be aggressive. Keep continue playing on that front foot and don't back up. Because as soon as you start backing up and backing into your end, it ends up being like the third period in Florida where it just it, it, it snowballs. And it's very, very difficult when you when you're defending a lead and you're constantly dealing after wave after wave to get that momentum back. It's very difficult. So I thought obviously Florida, there were a lot of issues with that. But I thought in the third period in Nashville, they were much better, a much, much better, um, you know, still a work in progress. Yeah. Again, we're only six games in, and that's the big thing. We're only six games in. So for whether it, whether it ends up going better or going worse from here on out, things are going to change one way or the other. This team's either going to start really, really getting it and understanding what this coach wants and embracing it and being able to do it consistently or they won't, um, you know, you know, obviously we're all hoping for the, for the, for the former, but we'll have to wait and see because there's a lot that's going to change between now and say game 41 that, that ushers in, you know, the middle of the season. Yeah. You mentioned odd man rush. Is that something I've noticed a bit more myself as the Canucks are getting a bit more opportunities with that. And that's because they are holding their own blue line a bit better and they are sending in that four checker. Uh, I mentioned this guy a little while ago, but I wanted to bring up Niels Hoaglander. Uh, Hoaglander had, I thought, a very strong game again against Nashville uh, after sitting for one. He's played five of the six Canucks games. He's very quietly put up four points in those five games uh, as well. He is one of the Canucks. I think, believe he's tied for sixth on the team in scoring here right now. Uh, yeah, he's tied for sixth on the team in scoring, and he's one of only five Canucks who have multiple goals or more. Of course, Besser has six, but you got Pedersen, Miller, Kuz, and Hoglander all with two. I mean, 
this is encouraging. And again, small sample size, smaller ice time. But he's a guy who I notice as much for getting into those hard areas uh, as I, I've ever seen. Like, I feel like he's he's got it a bit more this year. Um, I don't feel like he's a liability. He did get sat that one game, uh, but I, I felt like he was very strong uh, against the Preds. A little more of what he did in his rookie year, um, and I know I've had some, you know, discussions with others who disagree with me. But I mean, I really thought that first year, um, you know, he was a lot more straight ahead, a lot more. He was going to the net. I believe his first his first goal of his career was a was going to the net. It's his first NHL goal, and, and I, I I really thought that that was what we were going to get. Um, but you know not unlike a lot of young players who, you know, maybe, you know, and you could argue, I mean, he probably did miss a step in terms of his development. Although I think going down last year, you know, especially when this organization, you know, really gave Abbotsford some clear marching orders as to what they wanted to see um, from their, from their, from the player, from the young players that they were sending down in terms of the way they wanted them to play as 200 foot players um, that you got that player back, that, at least to some extent so far, uh, you know, where he's hard in on the forecheck, he's going to the dirty areas, obviously the goal to goal in Nashville, both of his goals, both going to the net deflections, um, which is an important skill to learn in this, in this day and age of the NHL, where there isn't a lot of room um, and, you know, going to the net, it isn't always the easiest or or, or the fun the, the most fun job that you can have because you're going up against defensemen that are ready to lay the lumber. Um, but he's doing it more and he's doing it consistently. Um, and again, there's that word for it, it's consistency. And it's really, I mean, it, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it's really the calling card for what what we're gonna hope to see from this team from here on out, which is you know, consistency in terms of the way they play, the way they compete for 200 feet. And, you know, as I said in my, what I, what I was talking about previously, and hopefully really gravitate to the principles that Rick Talkett wants. You know, I mean, I mean, you know where your coach stands. You also respect that your coach played the game and played the game a lot in the way that he's asking his players to play. Um Rick Tockett was no nonsense on the ice. I mean, he he would he could score goals, he could get assists, and he could kick ass. And he wasn't afraid to go into the corners and do what he had to do to help his team win. And, and he's not asking these players to do anything that he wasn't asking of himself. And so I think I, I get the feeling the players respect that. And certainly, you know, we're starting to see Hoglander hopefully turn a corner towards more consistency. Because if he plays this way, at some point, his ice time's going to go up. Somebody was asking me about his ice time. And I'm just saying, yeah, if he does it more consistently, plays that way, his ice time will go up. And he will start being, you know, a, a more, even an even more impactful part of this lineup. Well, he's averaging 10 minutes and four seconds of ice time a game, which is second lowest on the team among guys who've skated. Jack Stadnika is the only one who is averaging less. But so he's doing something with that with that time out there. Uh, you also mentioned consistency. Consistency equals identity uh, as well. If you're playing consistent and you have a style and you're buying into it, that's how you create an identity, and that's how you create uh, a hopefully winning culture. You can have bad identities too, as we've seen in, in the past. But if you want to get uh, a good culture in 
and and play well and build that identity and do it the proper way, consistency is 100% key for that. Yeah, I mean, and much in the way that when, you know, I think I may have brought this up on, you know, previous podcasts, but much in the same way that Vino came in 06 and 07, and he had to decide, you know, which guys he could win with, you know, which players that were, were going to be able to play the way he wanted to play and do it consistently. And that's how you wind up developing players like a Ryan Kessler, like an Alex Burroughs, like a Yannick Hansen, these forwards that would go for 60 minutes and wouldn't stop. And so it's nice when you watch Abbotsford because that's clearly what they're trying to create. You know, you got guys like Archie Baines, who's having a really good start to the year in Abbotsford. And sure obviously Pod, Pod Colson with five goals in five games. You know, guys that are going to go to the go to the mat for 60 minutes and not stop, you know, because if you in this in in, in the highest league in the world, you stop for, for five minutes. Five minutes is enough to sink your team. And so you got to get through to these guys that there there is no there's no quitting for 60 minutes. And the guys that aren't capable of doing that won't be here. Yeah. And uh, just going back, Arshkeet Baines as well, tied for the scoring lead in Abbotsford with Christian Willannon. They both have eight points in five games. Excellent start. Yeah. You mentioned Pod Colson, six points in five games, five of them goals. Niels Amon, five points in five games, four of them goals. He's playing quite well down there. And even Jet Wu has four helpers through first five games Linus Carlson is also four points in five games so you're you're starting to see as well down in the farm and this this permeates through the organization if you have a successful farm team that means that when guys get injured you can bring someone up who is already playing the same system understands their role comes in fills that role and could go back down. And the Canucks have a lot of warm bodies down there uh, in all positions, forwards, defense, and goalie that can get called up. The Canucks, as we know, have had some terrible runs of injury in the past, but it does feel like there's some good organizational depth down there right now. Um, also, um, Andre Kuzmenko uh, has kind of got going a little bit more. I wanted to just quickly touch on him while we're still on the forwards here. Uh, for me, Kuz, kind of a, swat, a quiet start. Um, you know, I don't think it was the Bali belly or anything like that. I just think, uh, really trying to figure out what talk system is and what his role is on the team. But I feel like he's more relaxed the last couple of games as well. I feel like just watching him play, he's not gripping the stick quite as tight. Like, I mean, I know Mikheyev, he scored, but he's still gripping the stick a little bit tight. Uh, feels like Kuz is starting to find his rhythm and that whole line is starting to really get going. Cause you got, I gotta say right now, we started with the PBJ line. I think that is uh, the team's first line at the moment, but it's pretty awesome having these two lines, having a two, two, one first lines, essentially. It's been a, it's been a while. You yeah. Know, when you could really sit there and say that you've got three lines that are, that are constructed the way that they are, um, where you can sit there and you can look at the, the three guys on each line and you know uh, where they fit in and, and, and what their role is, which, you know, and, and hat tip to the coaching staff, you know, for, for, for building that, um, that continuity within those two lines. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Kuzmenko, you know, I mean, you come off of a season where you score 39 goals and, and I'm, I'm sure no one, no one has more expectations on him than he does. Um, and so, and, and, you know, it, of course, it, you know, when, it, when, when he struggles to begin the year or, or talk, it's, you know, you know, 
giving them sort of the, the, that that tough treatment, which we we know we've seen him do last year. You know, it's always low hanging fruit to go. Ah, oh, you know, the clearly the Bali experiment didn't work, which probably has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Because I mean, we know he came back to Vancouver in in really good shape. So um, certainly that's I don't see that being the issue in any way, shape, or form. I just just think you know it's the beginning of the year, and really you know as much as um, talk it you know, implemented, you know, some of his system last year, you know, he, there was no way he was going to be able to implement all of it in, in terms of all of it, of the way he wanted them to play, um, the system, the structure, um, you know, those principles that clearly he holds dear as a coach. And so, you know, some players were going to, you know, take some time to figure it out. And, and you know, clearly Kuzmeko took a couple of games. I think having Micaiah back does help. Um, you know, because you then you've got that real true four checker on that line, the guy who comes with, with, I mean, arguably you could argue is probably the fastest skater in that lineup. Um, yeah. and you know, McCabe gets the goal, you know, in Nashville, a little bit of a lucky goal, but hey, you know what, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, so or, or you got to be good a, to be lucky, exactly. Right? I have no issues with somebody just putting the puck on net, you never know what's going to happen. and and um you know there were a couple of plays i can't i think they were in the third second or third period i think maybe in the second period where he on the same shift fanned or flubbed on two shots down yeah down yeah. low where he had where, where he had it probably had probably if he gets contact hard um, cross ice there. passes both of them yeah and so you know and that's understandable he hasn't played hockey in, in nine months or he hadn't played hockey and this is only a second game or yeah it'd be his second game Yes, because his first game was in Florida. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and criticize a guy who hasn't played much. So, you know, those are goals that you hope that he'll score as he gets more and more game time, which I'm assuming he will. And he should only get better. It's just nice to have him back because he gives you gives the Canucks that element of straight line speed in the top six that, you know, frankly, any team could use more of. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm as that team, as that line, um, the PD line gets more and more gelled together i you know I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes yeah two points in two games hasn't been used on the penalty kill at all yet i'm going to be curious to see uh where that goes i could see him getting some pk time he's averaging about 14 minutes a game right now so um i expect that to probably go up as well hey i, I wanted to though uh, i wanted to switch us from the forwards to the defense because uh this is something that i that we always do on this show is we always talk a lot about the forwards uh, the, the defense right now, it's kind of a, a mixed bag, isn't it? I mean, all of a sudden, this Hughes-Heronic pairing is an elite pairing. Like, you look at their fancy stats, they are um, leading the league or in the, the top handful of defensive pairings in the league in just about every fancy stat category uh, across the board. They look fantastic together. Uh, Ian Cole is a shot-blocking machine for the Canucks and is kind of doing what what you thought he was going to do after that though it's it's getting a little bit uh like we're not quite sure after that like uh susie still um still is i think finding his game a little bit more here uh i don't think he's been terrible by any means but uh you know i haven't really had any yeah really any wow moments i guess or anything with him but he hasn't been terrible 
Tyler Myers has not been good. Uh, I think everyone in Vancouver knows that, and it's hard to sugarcoat it, and we've seen him demoted to the third pairing. And then you've kind of got uh, that number six spot right now, which is, uh, at the moment, Friedman. He is serviceable, but he's not uh, really, in my opinion, anything more than uh, a depth piece. So uh, that's kind of my scouting report on the on the blue line right now. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, there's not, I, I don't know if I have much to add to that. I mean, Hughes and Heronic have been arguably the best pairing in the in the NHL so far. Um, you know, I mean, I know they're probably, you know, a lot of people want to say, oh, you know, it's, it, it's Hughes just playing at an elite level and you could put anybody, but I don't, I don't believe that at all. Um, I think Heronic has no. been equally as good. You know, I mean, both of those guys have, have, uh, are solid defensively. Um, again, I, like I'll say this, it helps, you know, when you're, when your whole team, because if you, we saw last game, um, you know, no matter what pairing was on the ice, the Canucks weren't getting caved in. And when you have all four lines playing 200 foot hockey, it makes a difference. And it, and it really does help your defense, but you know, certainly that pairing doesn't need a ton of help because you've got Hughes. Who's, I mean, God, like his skating. I mean, I could sit there and watch him skate for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, like he, like there are times where he's in just, situations where you're like, Ooh, I don't know about that. Where it just seems, it seems compromising, but then he somehow skates out of it. Just the, just to the, the, the stick and the puck positioning, you know, when he's, when he's got guys on, it's just beautiful to watch. And then you've got, and then you have uh Hironic who just makes the smart, makes the right plays. And yeah, he can carry the puck out if he has to, but he has such a good first pass, um, you know, and, and always like very much in the same vein and I said this before the season, somebody asked me who I would compare him to. And I said, you know, I mean, the hope for this team is that he ends up being a Sammy Sallow slash Matthias Oland. Those are the kind of players that you'd want him to be, to play alongside a Quinn Hughes. Guys that are smart, can make a good first pass, are good in their own end. Big are, shot. Are physical. Big shot. Yeah, I mean, which is a big comparison with Sallow. Um, but much like Matthias Olin, not afraid to be physical, very good in front of his net, and can clear and can clear guys out when he has to do it. So, I mean, that pairing's been just—I mean, just been fantastic. Yeah, and, and I think Ian Cole's been very, very good. Um, you know, he's exactly what you want out of a number three, four defenseman. He's just very good in his own end, and he can make a first pass when he has to. But he's very good at taking sticks, clearing guys out of the front of the net. All the things that the Canucks needed and, and you know, probably was part of the reason why it was so much easier to, to um, buy out an OEL was because, you know, OEL was not capable of doing that to the extent that Cole was. And so now moving forward, you know, what this team needs to do is find that 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 second three, four defenseman. Um, yeah. To, to, to fit with Cole, because right now what you've got is a three, four, or you've got a, you've got a one, two, let's just say one, two, three slash four. And then you've got three, five, sixes. And arguably, I mean, maybe Friedman would be better off as a seven. Um, you know, I don't know what Myers is going to give for the rest of the season. I don't know if this is just what he is from now on, or if he's, but I sincerely hope that maybe he, you know, this is just an early season where he's just struggling a bit. He just needs to get, um, you know, his 
I mean, for I guess lack of a better phrase, his head out of his ass. Um, you know, because certainly we've seen him play, you know, better than this. Um, and and so many of his mistakes are quite frankly fixable um for most players but the question is are they fixable for him at this point of his career and then that that's the real question um but you know as i as i said before the season started um this group here again this is this is a season for talkit to figure out what he's got who he can win with who he can't win with and really going you know the hope is this team can get into a playoff spot and then really you can analyze this team with so much so many players that on expiring contracts that really you then can then really build a team for next season um, that that fits what you hope your identity is with the guys that are leaving that you don't think fit. Yeah, I think it was um, it was Yannick Hansen, and I, I can't remember which hit. I think it might have been on Canucks Central, but as usual, I, I can't remember anything. Um, but he was talking about Tyler Myers and how, you know, you look at it like Myers got the size. He's well liked. Uh, he can move around on the ice. Um, he does have a shot. You know, he's a former Calder Trophy winner. But there's just something right now where he's not using any of those things. He's not using his shot. He does have a goal on the air, but he's not using the shot. He's not using the body. He's just not moving the feet. Like it's just nothing is working with the guy. And I know we harped on Myers a lot last episode, but. For me, with uh, Myers kind of going the wrong way and Susie not really there yet. Now, again, Susie hasn't been bad, but he's got another level he needs to get to as well. It's a lot of pressure on the three defensemen. And, and you know, Hironic played over 27 minutes last night uh, in uh, in Nashville. That's a lot, right? And over the season, that adds up. You know, it'd be nice to get the him and Hughes down. Hughes always plays big minutes, though. Um, Hironic is is ripped, though. The guy is in tremendous shape. I'm sure he could do that all season long, but it's not ideal. And, you know, the, the rumor mill around Ethan Bear is not going to go away. But Ethan Bear is, you know, that's still a ways away if that move actually happens. Now, I, I do think there's a lot of smoke with Ethan Bear. Uh, I think he'd be a, a pretty good fit uh, on this team. And we've seen him there before. I think he would certainly help. But, it, I mean, you're not going to get full up to speed Ethan Bear until well into the new year right now. So, um, I don't know. You know, we we talked about Connor Garland before. Nothing really happening there. Uh, it's going to be tough to get a defenseman, a right shot defenseman back from anyone out there right now um, without being incredibly creative. Uh, but for me, that's, you know, that's the only thing right now. I think a lot of Canucks fans are, are looking at is, is there's still questions with the blue line. Fortunately, the killer D's Demko and DeSmith, uh, have been playing very well and, and it's great having that stability back there. And I think the forwards have been doing their defensive role well. And, and, and again, the defense for the most part of being fine, but last night it was the Miller Susie pairing or Miller, sorry, the Myers Susie pairing that was on for both goals against and uh it was it was pretty noticeable to me so for me uh that's something you know it's if Myers keeps up like this is he going to get benched are you going to bring up a guy like Willannon to play his offside is that going to be an improvement for the team I mean there's a lot of Canucks fans out there who would say yes um I think it might be but I know talk is not a fan of uh having lefties on the right right side either so for me this is just the one thing that um 
I, I, and you know, you mentioned all the free agents. There is, yeah, there's a, there's a real opportunity at the end of this year and at the trade deadline to maybe trade off some guys that you don't feel like you're going to use down the stretch. And maybe uh, you're going to have, regardless, you're going to have this cap space with a rising cap. And of course the Canucks have an OEL cap penalty in there as well, but there are going to be some more options. Um, but with, with D especially right shot D it's hard to get them out there via trade or via free agency. The Canucks, I think, did really well to get Philip Peronic. I know some people out there don't like that trade, but I do like that trade. Uh, if the Canucks say if this is their only first-round pick in that uh, that draft, not sure how I'd have felt about it, but they still had it, and they used that pick to take another right D. And uh, Tom Willander has looked very good. You got Hunter B, who's looking really good over with the Kitchener Rangers right now. Uh, so there are a couple of prospects, but those guys are still a couple of years away. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, like, I mean, good on this organization for recognizing that they need right hand, right hand D, and and, and um, went after that. You know, in the draft with two promising guys with. Uh, Brustavich and 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 Will Anders. So um, obviously both of them are a long way to go, and there's no guarantees that you know. Again, like especially with Hunter, I don't I don't want to get ahead of myself because again he's playing in the OHL, and as we've seen in the past, the step between the OHL and um, and professional hockey is it's it's a big one. Um, so, and I'm not saying don't be excited because you absolutely should be excited by what you're seeing because what he's doing in the OHL right now is pretty outstanding. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'll cut like, again, like in Myers and Susie obviously played on the low end of low end, um, in Nashville. I mean, you know, obviously Susie's to blame for the first goal. Although, I mean, two and like, again, like I'm like, I've watched that. I've, I've watched that goal over and over again. I mean, you had like he put the puck to the boards, which is never a bad thing, but there was no support there. And so, as much as I, it was a poor decision on his part. It was also it was. I'm also sitting there wondering where the forward was because that's that's a big issue that we've seen in the past. No puck support, guys too high, mm-hmm. not not there to receive a pass. And really, if I looked at that play, there was really no one set to to take a pass from him. So. You know, as much as it was a mistake and, and he has to own that, I mean, I, I think there's some blame to go around. And then the, the, the other goal, which was which was more on, um, I think it was Beauvillier and, and Suter, I believe, on on the other goal, which, I mean, there's really not much you can do if you're two defensemen and you're both back on a three-on-two and a guy hits a 98-mile-an-hour slap shot uh, on a nice pass. I mean, at the end of the day, there's not much you can do there either. So I'm not going to sit there. There were other goals, you know, that I can blame Myers on, obviously, but that I, I, neither of those two goals in Nashville, I'm pinning on him. Um, but like again, it's it's getting that confidence back in him to try and do everything he can just to make the smart, easy plays. Don't make plays that are going to put your team in a bad spot. Um, you know, again, I mean, I don't know how much they can do this year. I mean, obviously, as you said, Ethan Bear might be an option for that right side. Um, again, that again, I think December is what we're looking at for 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 him before he even considers the comeback. And even if he does come back, how much can you expect from a guy that hasn't played in that long? No, exactly. Um, that, exactly to, to to come in and play in a in a in a top four role. That's a lot to ask anybody. Um, so I, I don't know what you can expect from him. And we know the trade market is what it is right now. It's not easy to make trades. And 
You know, I mean, I know a lot of fans want want management to be able to snap their fingers and make a deal, but it's not that simple. Um, so it'll be interesting. And again, that's why the, the process and the structure with which they play with that have all of their forwards playing for 200 feet is that important because you have to, you, you can't let this defense, um, especially those bottom two pairings, um, defend on an Island constantly, like they did in Philadelphia, like they did in for parts of the game in Tampa. Uh, you know, you can't do that. So as much as on the forwards as it is on, on the defense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think there's been a lot of moments um, this season where there's still high risk uh, or low percentage passes that the, the team is making. Uh, there's occasional drop pass or no look passes, which uh, always make coaches blood boil. But I think that uh, as they clean up, you're right. That will should help those guys out as well, but, uh, geez, you know, it, it's, uh, it, for me, that's, uh, it's an area of, ah, it's just, it's a, it's the weak spot, right? Like, uh, it'd be nice if you could somehow use Garland, maybe, you know, you're going to have to take a piece back, which maybe isn't a defenseman, but maybe you get some cap flexibility to bring in Ethan bear. So there's a little bit of addition by subtraction that way. But uh, again, it's not a lot of market for uh, a winger with, making 4.9 million with, with term. Uh, I think Garland's been pretty decent in the lineup for the Canucks, but uh, obviously uh, once you bring in the agent to, to help try and facilitate a trade, uh, you kind of, you kind of know that there's writing on the wall that all parties would like to make a move. And so hopefully we can see something at some point here and hopefully that can lead towards defenseman improvement. But yeah, you're right as well. That's why I said, when I said Ethan bear, I said, it's not likely we're going to really see him until the new year. Because even if he is cleared in December and comes back before Christmas, it's going to take time. Like, I mean, we're six games into the season here and we're still seeing some rust on some of these guys. And uh, I think that it's going to be, you know, a training camp, right? Yeah. And and not only a training camp, a training camp where guys were in camp two weeks before it in some cases. Like, I mean, I would assume he might go like, like, you know, just to ease him in. uh, I, I would assume they'd probably send him down to Abbotsford. On, conditioning, on conditioning stint, yeah. you know, to ease his way back in, maybe against, um, you know, competition that isn't quite at the NHL level, not, but not bad competition by any stretch of the imagination, but not at the speed and the pace uh, of the NHL and just allow him to ease his way in a little more than he would. So, I mean, that's, of course, can, that's, you know, taking that leap that they do in fact sign him when he's healthy. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be definitely a situation to watch, and I know Canucks fans are watching the the Garland situation, the Ethan Bear situation. Never any shortage of of drama around this team, but hey, at least the drama right now is uh, has got a lot of smiles on Canucks fans. Uh, Brandon, let's uh, take this into the free pour here. All right, folks, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor. And I'm going to go first. And being, uh, what, six days out until Halloween, uh, I just wanted to talk about something that I've kind of noticed is being an Islander, being from Victoria and growing up in Victoria, we always did uh, neighborhood bonfires, kids would trick or treat together. And then families the parents would all pitch in money and we'd shoot off a big fireworks display every night there were fireworks all over victoria 
I've noticed over here in Vancouver, the mentality with fireworks, it, it's it's much less positive. There's a lot of people here who don't like the fireworks. I'm not quite sure uh, what it is, if it's because of the noise, it keeps people up. I understand how it scares dogs. Totally get that. I'm more concerned about what it does to dogs than what it does to people because dogs are the best. But I, I've noticed over here that there's this real like, are you team firework or team not firework? Growing up in Vic, it was never like that. It's just fireworks everywhere. That like kind of one night of the of the year where there's just fireworks all over the place in Victoria. So I don't know. I'd just be curious to hear thoughts from anyone out there about the fireworks. If this is an Islander Victoria thing versus a more of a mainland Vancouver thing, I don't know. But just something I, w- I was thinking as we we get close, and I've started hearing a few pew pews fireworks going off uh, around Vancouver in the last little while. Brandon, what do you got? Oh, I see. Brandon's setting up his screen. Oh, I see he's yeah, setting up his screen go. here. All right, what we got go. today? Yeah. We have the final of the Rugby World Cup, and for anybody who knows World Rugby, it's a clash of the two, I don't think, I mean, Australia is thrown in there as well, but argue, but I, I would say the two most decorated countries in world rugby, that being the Springboks of South Africa and the All Blacks of New Zealand. Um, I mean, it should be a fantastic final. These two, there's so much tradition between these two teams. Um, I mean, if, if, if France was, because it's being hosted in France, so I mean, if, if you weren't going to have the host country in there, I think these are the two countries uh, that you know you'd want to see just to see how they how this goes because i believe this is the first time that these two teams have squared off since that famous uh rugby world cup final in 1995 uh the one that took place in um in south africa for those people that have seen the movie invictus with matt damon that movie's based off the 1995 rugby world cup uh that south africa what ended up winning in um it was probably one of the, the most famous games in the history of world rugby so um i'm excited for this final i'm gonna watch it um it's this weekend so uh i'm a Springbok fan when i'm not cheering for canada canada wasn't in this rugby world cup so i cheered for south africa i'll be cheering for south africa in the final and so i'm excited to watch Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 150. How about that? That's season five, episode four, just about in the books. Uh, Brendan, you felt you like meant- it felt like it, it felt like it flew by for me, man. It really, it really, yeah. I mean, it felt like you know that 150 Woo! episodes is only like three or four, uh, right? Uh, but you, you did it. I don't know, man. You did it. It's 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 all COVID times in a blender. Uh, you had mentioned the Rugby World Cup in your free pour. Um, it's just a great time of year for sports right now, man. Uh, the World Series is starting up this week. The NBA started up. Uh, NFL's in full swing. Premier League, Champions League is going on. There is so much happening right now. Uh, it's just a great great time of year to be a sports fan. I should say, the, you know, the baby Canucks are in action tonight. Up, and not that this is going to matter when most people listen, but they're winning two-one right now. McDonough nice. with a goal, Archie Baines with a goal, Black Colson with an assist. 
So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And also, we should also give a shout out to Jonathan Lagarimaki uh, as well in the Canucks Prospects uh, system here. It sounds like he'll be on the World Junior team and on pace to break uh, some Swedish scoring records at the moment. He's got seven goals already over in the SHL. Fingers very early. Hey, Fingers yeah, crossed. very, very early, but he's pacing to break Kent Nielsen's record of, of goals for an under 20 in a season. Something to keep an eye on, but uh, it's great to see him bounce back after last year as well. Uh, folks, if you aren't following us on Twitter, uh, you maybe should. Uh, we sometimes say things. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Uh, Doug, who's not on the episode today, is at Doug Ben. Uh, podcast is at Canuck Speak. Brendan, yourself? J-O, J-A-B-O underscore Vancouver. Uh, obviously, if you're watching on YouTube, that subscribe button's right there. There's no excuse not to hit it. Big week, big weekend coming up for the Canucks. A, a rare back-to-back Blues then Rangers. I mean, this three-game homestand. You know, you want it. You want to hope that they can follow up. What was a good end of that road trip with, uh, you know, a good three-game homestand? They go back on the road for one in San Jose, then back for a couple of more before they hit their uh, Eastern road trip going in, in and around uh, November uh, Remembrance Day. So um, let's hope they can continue uh, building on what they built at the end of that road trip. Yeah, no, no off nights. That's what we uh, we want to see. Um, also, uh, yeah, give us a like, or subscribe on YouTube. That uh, helps us out a lot. Really appreciate it. And if you also want to hear where all this music goes, Canucks Speakeasy outro music playlists. Those are on both Spotify and Apple. And we'll be adding this track onto there. Until next time, folks, we got three games until the next episode. Uh, let's see where we go. Hasta luego.